Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam to talk about the latest episode of Doctor Who, Oxygen. Um, so why don't we just jump in right away? Adam, what was your uh, take on this episode? I liked it overall. It was, uh, it was, it was a pretty solid episode. I, I liked the fact... It was 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 pretty science fictiony. Sometimes the show kind of is is almost in the science fantasy realm. It's like it, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna say it was hard science or anything, but you know, it was nice to have a show where it's in space and space is dangerous and you know you need to survive in it. And it was was interesting. Yeah, I thought it felt a little more science fictiony for sure. I mean, and they were kind of hammering home the whole space thing. From the beginning of the episode. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they may have almost overemphasized it a bit, but that's okay. I guess they there, need to because they usually forget about it. So. There were a, a few points I thought that they that a couple of things could have been handled a little more subtly like that, where it's sort of like <laughs> they just kind of hammered home the point a little too hard, and I would have been fine without them doing that because I would have picked up on it. Um, and yeah. It was almost like, oh, do you think I'm stupid? Um, but 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 beyond that, I I think I had. That was one of my minor quibbles with the episode. I have uh, I have a quibble which which I'll get to later as we're talking about it. But I enjoyed it a lot. I like the um, I like the whole zombie. I mean, it's basically a zombie movie in space, but they did it yeah. the right way. They yeah. they had it. And again, we're going to give you guys spoilers. So if you haven't seen the episode, you might want to stop listening. But but they have the the cause of the zombies really just be the suits that they're in, which made a lot of sense. Um, it did. And, and I, yeah. I, I like that. I could. I mean, I'm sure somebody's done something like that at some point, but I couldn't think of it. I was. I was trying to remember, you know, that like like a zombie plague powered by mechanical yeah. suits, and I I couldn't come up with a with a well, an example. Yeah, and of course they don't explain that till fairly deep in the episode. So early on, I was kind of thinking, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I like the element of space being dangerous and stuff. But I thought, but yeah, they have to have, you know, zombies and stuff, which, yeah. you know, whatever. But then it's just, oh, they're not actually zombies. It's just the, the suits walking around. So that, yeah, that was that was kind of a nice surprise there. But, uh, but yeah, it, you know, I mean... There were, you know, a couple of quibbles I could come with, come up with on that. But I agree with you on the overselling it thing. And I think that's because they, you know, because they do the science fiction thing so little, they feel like almost they need to explain it to the audience. And it's like, it's, it is kind of funny. It used to be taken for granted in the old episodes when they do something like that. But yeah. now it's like, oh we, oh, we have to explain to people how this all works. Well, and, and they uh, did use some of it well. Like they were, they were, they were kind of emphasizing the doctor's need to just go out and be in space and do things and and so yeah you know and, and 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 the speech at the beginning about what happens to you in the vacuum of space obviously is foreshadowing mm. um so i thought that was that was useful um but and i was wondering about that Do you know how accurate that was because i was thinking about that and i didn't have a chance to look it up um, uh, i know people I are think... always talking about this when it comes to space movies yeah, you read a lot of different things about what happens to people when they're exposed to space. I and mean, it's definitely true the boiling point of water is is lower and stuff. But I don't know if it's to the point where you're actually going to immediately start boiling. But the mm -hmm. stuff about, you know, the bubbles in your blood and everything, that stuff's all true. So. Yeah, because I've always heard slightly different things. But it seems like it's generally quite dangerous, but maybe you can survive a little bit longer than people sometimes say. It's not instant yeah. death. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I thought that was an interesting device, and obviously it was impactful because it wasn't just sort of a threat. It was something that really came to be 
important mm-hmm. in the episode. So, uh, which I think we could probably get to it a bit too. Um, but yeah. <laughs> first I want to get to my quibble, which is, and maybe it's not a quibble cause I might've just missed it. I watched the episode twice and it, it was a moment where I couldn't quite understand everything he was saying. So I might've missed something that was legitimately an explanation, but I didn't quite understand how Bill survived that. I was a little unclear on what the, what the worker, I knew he did do a workaround, but I was a little unclear on. Oh, he gave her his helmet is what he did. Oh no, not that time. I mean, when, um, Oh, the second time when the, when the, when the, the suit zombies got her and they were going to shut down the central nervous system. That, okay. That's my quibble as well. And I did understand it, but it didn't make sense. Okay. Which was, well, there's a flaw in it. Basically it half made sense. Because what what he said was he looked at her suit and he saw the power on her suit was just about to run out. Mm -hmm. So when it tried to shock her, it was going to give her a big enough shock to knock her out, but not enough to kill her. Okay. Which that part made sense. But (laughs) the problem was after she got, you know, knocked out, they had the suit walking around. It's like, wait, didn't didn't the suit just drain its battery trying to shock her? Why is it walking around? So that was where they screwed up. Okay. 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 But yeah. Cause that was, that was my quibble for the week. I'm like, why, why, how can this still be happening? But uh, her suit just should have stood there after it tried to shock her. But, you know, but I guess that, I mean, that, that explanation, I guess I can see sort of the flaw you're putting to, but that's at least something. Um, <laughs> I was sort yeah. of like, wait, what kind of happened there? So, um, so, so I, I, I think that, you know, mostly answers my concern, though it, it sounds mm-hmm. like you're saying it, it, it should have already been depowered by that point. Is that what you're? Well, if the, if the reason it didn't kill her was because there wasn't enough power in the battery and it used all the power up, then, you know, wouldn't that that have meant it was out or. But I don't and know. Maybe it's got it. Yeah. Though maybe maybe, it, maybe it's still. Ha- yeah, I, I guess I see what you're saying, though. though yeah. OK. Yeah. I, I, I see your point. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. there's something about these suits we just don't know. That uh, yeah, maybe you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the movement there's... isn't is, is a different power system that's not related different to the one that system. kills you. Um... That's right. That's right. Yeah, but uh, it's got it's got a separate energy system for the suit moving, so you don't it's, get stranded. Well, it's somewhere. like having a we'll dedicated line for your fridge so that it doesn't <laughs> doesn't uh, upset the rest of the the, the lights in the house, uh, so you don't get that annoying flicker when you're watching TV or something. Okay, great. It all makes sense now. <laughs> but they never said that, so that's just no. a made-up explanation on our part. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, but that was a quibble, and I feel like it maybe could have been more clear, but then maybe I should have been paying more attention because I, I watched it twice and I missed that. So um, mm-hmm. so maybe that's more on me than anything else. Um, but I do think your criticism kind of holds there. But, uh, but yeah, the other, the other part with the whole thing with the suits, I would have got that pun. I didn't need them to... To, to to tell to point it out to me yeah um, was, that was heavy-handed but uh, uh <laughs> and and i and i felt like um what was it I, I i felt like the beginning part of the episode where there's there was the couple out like i don't know if they were doing work or if they were trying to if they were like on like a mission from that group to to do something because stuff had already started going to hell but uh I, I did like that they quickly established, like very immediately, that there was there was like a relationship between these people, and there was all this sort of implied, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, attachment between them. But then it ne- it didn't come up until the very end of the episode. So 
so I didn't even realize that that was the same guy. Uh, until me neither. I'd forgotten it was him too. It was yeah. just, yeah, it slipped my mind completely. I'm like, oh, it is the guy who's, you know, wife or whatever got killed at the beginning. But yeah, that didn't, uh, didn't, there's no, I didn't, I didn't have any emotional investment in that storyline. It just was kind of there. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I think something I did like was the way they set up early on the fact that they were being that they were really inefficient on the station. You know, when they bring up the thing, oh, well, is it a robbery? And they're like, well, there's no point in robbing us because we've barely, you know, barely produced any ore lately. Our production is so low, which, you know, is good because it's set up later when they brought up the reason they were all being killed off was because, oh, they wanted to replace the crew because the crew was inefficient. It's like I like that they kind of planted the seed early on there. Yeah, no, they, they. I thought they laid the groundwork for that. Um, that you know, that was that was that was pretty. It was pretty easy to grok that when it came mm-hmm. up. Um, and I did like I did like the uh, the his solution. I thought his solution made a lot of sense. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they're definitely getting more. Have, I, well, they're they're getting the the political messaging in the program seems a little bit stronger in the mm-hmm. in the stories this season. Um, and and I. I don't think I mind that, but at sometimes I feel like it's a it, it, it gets a little bit too. I mean, Doctor Who always has things like this in it, but I, I feel yeah. like sometimes when it gets too to the surface, it uh, it can sometimes distract from the needs of the story. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, well, it just it just feels like you don't trust us to get it, you know. Yeah. Uh, too, like I said, it distracts from the story, and it's like, okay, now you're just giving us a lecture. <laughs> I mean. I think they softened it a little bit to the extent that, you know, he makes the joke about, you know, oh, and then this this ends capitalism yeah. and then, then humanity moves on to its next mistake. I thought that 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 was kind of a funny line that kind of, you know, it's like, OK, it's not it's just saying that we basically go from one bad system to another, not going, well, this is the evil system. And well, well no, it, and it was I think the, the message itself was actually a little more subtle than just capitalism is bad because there was mm-hmm. also a, a little quip in there about regulation. Like the reason that her suit wasn't able to move was because of uh, health codes or like there was some there was some safety code thing in place yeah. that caused that to happen. So um, so there was also like an overregulation type type thing in there. Um but no, I, I think what I, I mean, and maybe we're just past the point where like, because of the internet, everybody immediately knows what the subtext is. And so, you know, they kind of have to just draw attention to it and then comment on the fact that it's so obvious. But I kind of miss things being a little bit more under the surface and mm-hmm. me having to kind of realize after I watch the episode what the, um, you know, what, like, you know, you have to put a little bit of thought into it in order to, to get the... Uh, to get the 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 extra bonus of of you know of of the, of 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 deciphering the message if that makes sense yeah um, well i mean honestly because people they, they should go the other route the people are going to be on the internet talking anyway so let's let them all hash it out and talk about the sub you know leaving the subtext under the surface gives people more to talk about when they interpret the episode so if they want to you know, they, they should actually make it more subtle to encourage mm. that rather than going, OK, we're just going to tell you what this all means, because. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, I, I, mean, I would agree. And, and I don't I don't I don't begrudge them having political messages in it. Cause I do. Think no, no, I'm fine with I that. Just, I just think it's a, it's a little not subtle. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's the yeah. that's the bit. Um, but uh, the other thing that I think we also have to address is the doctor goes blind in this episode. 
And that is, yes. um, that is obviously a major development in the season or the, the series, I should say. So, um, you know, what was your take on that? Man, it's uh, it's hard to say because, I mean, obviously it happened right at the end of the episode. I mean, on the one hand, I think it's it's interesting because they know this this, you know, this is Capaldi's last season. They can kind of do permanent things to this, you know, incarnation of the doctor. And they know it's not going to you know, they're really going to have to live with it for, you know, what is it, five more episodes or so? I forget how many episodes there are this season. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, I'm just wondering how it's going to impact any standalone episodes because, you know, it's like I, I really like I generally tend to like the standalone episodes of Doctor Who the best. And if they all are kind of having to deal with the doctor being blind is some kind of thing that, that keeps coming up again and again, it's it could be i don't know it could drag the show down a little bit but we'll see yeah hopefully they, they're able to handle it in a way that uh i i could see it going either way on the one hand i think it's an interesting development i think it'll uh, allow for um some interesting story and and um it will it will definitely i don't know i i, I the thing i like about it is a lot of times in this show, there are threats that aren't really threats. Like, you know, mm-hmm. somebody dies and then they're back up. Like, kind of like, you know, she, 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 we thought we were dead. She was dead for a moment, but it turns out she wasn't dead. Um, but this is a lasting consequence. And sometimes I think that is good because now the next time something dangerous happens, I'm going to say, oh, well, they made him blind. What else are they willing to do? Um, it's true. It's kind of like with the first time I saw a movie where they killed a main character or something. It's like, whoa, if they're willing to do that then nobody's safe. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but you can always go overboard with this stuff. And like you said, it could, it could become a hindrance if they haven't thought out, you know, what having a blind doctor really means over the course of the season. Uh, you know, number one, it could, it could feel too connected to previous episodes because when you come and you watch the episode, it's like, wait a second, why is the doctor blind if you're watching it out of context? But, but also it just might interfere with, an episode that doesn't need the doctor to be blind to work. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. um, I I don't, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but I think it's, uh, I I thought it was interesting. I'm definitely, they got my attention with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, obviously the other problem would be if during the standalone episodes and the rest of the season, if they decide, well, we don't want to make it an issue and they just kind of, you know, he's blind, but it doesn't have any complications at all. Then it has the opposite problem. Well, he did this this big thing of making the doctor blind, and then yeah, he's pretty much functioning okay anyway without having any consequence. Then you kind yeah. of think, well, why do it? So, Well, and th- I would yeah. say this episode, the blindness had an impact. Um, and I'd be curious if it continues to do so. It looks like what they're setting it up for is there's obviously a big showdown probably between him and the master. And this is like putting him at a serious disadvantage, which I think will make it more interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I think the uh, it, it, they, they could do the thing like you're saying, where it's just you know everything's too easy for him blind, like you know it's sort of like the blind swordsman thing, where yeah, maybe he's he's just you know he's just still able to to deal with stuff as if he had eyes, um, or. Uh, you know, it could, I could see it going the other way where it's too much of a problem, you know, like, like, like yeah. we're, we're sort of, we're just like, you know, there are just too many scenes of him 
struggling with the blindness and it, it, it gets in the way of, of the episodes themselves. So I, yeah, I, I, I don't know how it's going to pan out. But, no, I'd, I'd, I'd rather if they if they go heavily in one direction, I'd rather go the blind swordsman direction than the he's bumbling around and can't do anything direction. Yeah, that would that would be my choice. Yeah, okay, that's I think that's reasonable. I think that's. Reasonable. <laughs> um, I mean, because really, really think about the doctor. The doctor's kind of a hyper competent character anyway. That's kind of his whole deal. So, you know, you you don't really want anything to make him you know, too unable to function. No, that's true. And that was another thing that this did, though, because he, he mentioned, oh, you know, this is temporary. I have all kinds of stuff in the TARDIS that'll that'll cure anything. And and that's kind of true. We've seen him do that a lot. Like, we've seen him give people... I know at one point he gave Amy some kind of little... Uh, I don't know. It was like some sort of vial of something. I think it was during the, the episode about the flesh where they found out that she was pregnant. And, uh, uh-huh. you know what I mean? But he's got all kinds of, like... I mean, obviously that that just unmasked what was wrong with her but but he's got all kinds of remedies it seems in the in the TARDIS and and you know I I, I feel like uh this showed that maybe he doesn't have access like even you know there there, there are things that are well beyond his ability to 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 fix um yeah so so I you know I I, I like that aspect to it um and I don't know it just kind of it, it you know, it, it hammered home that that like whatever he has in the TARDIS is still finite, if that makes sense. Like it's still something that he has to literally acquire and put in there. And whatever he got for his eyes, it wasn't enough. Um, so so I kind of like that. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. And, and I like the double fake. I like that they that he acted like he was cured. And then and then, you know, it turned out he was really still blind. And so I thought that was interesting. And I, I saw a YouTube video where somebody was talking about that part of the episode. And they said that if you go back and watch it the second time, uh, you know, he doesn't really make direct eye contact with people during the exchange. Um, I noticed that actually yeah. watching it the first time. I did pick up and I thought, oh, he's better because he had the sunglasses on and he wasn't making it. I thought it was in the standpoint, like kind of a recovery period. It's like, mm. oh, he's done the treatment now, but now he's, you know, not quite on top of it yet that you know so i didn't pick up on the fact he was going to stay blind but i know his eyes aren't quite working yet yeah and i thought that was uh and and i didn't notice it until that person mentioned it not not the scene with the sunglasses but prior to that when he um when he's just interacting with people and his eyes look normal um yeah and i'm i'm you know i'm still not 100 percent convinced uh just because the second time i watched it i was looking and it looked like he was kind of not entirely engaging people, but I still saw moments where it looked like he made eye contact. So I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but, uh, but it definitely, you know, is ambiguous, I think in them, in that scene. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I, but, but I, I do think this is one of the, this is one of the things in the season that, uh, really impressed me a lot in terms of, wow, that was a moment that, uh, is, <laughs> is impactful uh, yeah so. it was a big moment definitely but uh oh i've got one other thing about the suits jumping back to the suit discussion like just i don't know if i call it a plot hole but just something that that i have to wonder about is you know they've got this new crew on the way over to replace the current crew and they've killed you know they've been killing off the current crew but they don't make any effort to 
clean the bodies out of the suits? Like, what what was supposed to happen if this plan worked? I mean, were there going to be just all these corpses in the spacesuits when the new crew arrived? I mean, you'd think they wouldn't oh. want the new crew to go, hey, they just, just murdered our, our prior people that we're replacing. Well, I'm guessing, depending on how deep this goes and how many, you know, like how many turtles there are below the surface, <laughs> I, think, I think it's... Um, I'm assuming that once the suits killed everybody, that they would then remove the bodies from the, the okay. uh, thing. And then yeah. the new crew would come after that step had been completed. Um, gotcha. gotcha. But, you know, who knows, you know. Um, but, yeah, but but again, I really did think that was interesting. I liked I liked the idea of the suits. I thought they were a really cool mm-hmm. monster. Um, you know, it just, it just was like a really interesting take on zombies for me. And... Uh, and I like the whole setup. I like the, you know, I always like space station type or, or, you know, space mine type scenarios like that. So, um, yeah, it kind of, to me, that's like, I don't know. That's like the sort of classic sci-fi, like, I don't know, maybe like seventies sci-fi, but like, definitely there's like a, uh-huh. there's a thing with that, that, that really appeals to me. It kind of reminds me of like everything from aliens to, to alien and whatever you know it's just that. yeah and uh, another obscure one no one talks about anymore was sean connery outlander where he's on have you ever seen that movie i haven't seen outlander no oh okay it's yeah I, I forget if it's a mining station or what but it's just this really gritty one with him solving a murder on this okay. you know some kind of outpost somewhere what, out in the solar system outlander? ah let's see we'll have to look that up here but uh yeah, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so it might be terrible, but it was just really gritty, and I, I, it, it's something that's always stuck with me over the years. But it, you never, never see it anymore. I've of never, course, I've now, never had a chance to see it. Um, now, now there's that TV show called uh, Outlander that is making it hard to Google. Would you, would you, would you be interested in reviewing that one? So it's future... 81's effective with the seventies. What was that? Yeah, if we. I said 81, which I consider the 70s. So <laughs> Yeah, that, to me, that's still 70s. Too. Like the, the 70s uh, aesthetic still seems to be in play. Um, and that's kind of when I came online. Like I was born in 76. And I think around 80, 81 is when my memories begin. So Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think of that as the 70s. Um, okay, so if that's the case, I'm going to... Um, oh, Outland. I've got the title wrong. It's Outland. Yeah, not Outland. Okay. That's, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I would be, I'd be up for it. I, I probably haven't seen it since 1981. So <laughs> I, I just ordered, I, would... I, I just got the Blu-ray. Uh, so, so I'm Okay, committed. great. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm on board to uh, review it here. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I did it once you confirmed. I clicked. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, we'll do, we'll do an a review of Outland. I think that would be kind of cool doing that and like stuff like Planet of the Apes or uh, what was it, uh, 2001, stuff like that. Um, cool. And I'll, uh, I'll uh, rent it for two ninety nine off of Amazon. Okay. So I'll be, I'll be all set. But, uh, yeah, that's great. That'll be a, a fun one to look at. But, but it reminded me of those 70s space station-y type uh, scenarios. And so exactly. I, I always yeah, like I... those. I always like those. Um, something, you know, Something comforting about a, a really contained environment like that. Um, yeah, I'm watching The Expanse too, which is you know just finished its second season, and it's it's got it's got a lot of that going for it too. I've been enjoying that a lot. Okay, I I haven't seen The Expanse. I'm I'm way behind on series and stuff. I uh, I have a big list of things that I need to see, and 
Um, would you recommend the expanse? Is it worth checking? I out? would. Yeah. If you like, I mean, it's, it's all set in the solar system. You've got really gritty, you know, belt miners and stuff mm. going on. And so if you like that, that whole mining and space aesthetic, you, you will definitely like the expanse. And it's set in our solar system. It's like all sort of, yeah, it's, it's just all, all within our solar system. That's, yeah. I and, like that uh, kind of stuff. So I'll, yeah. Where, where they, is that? Is that like on Netflix or is that just like on regular television? Uh, it's on Sci-Fi Channel, and I think I think it is. I think season one is streaming on Netflix. I know okay. season one is on one of the services now. And it's called That's, The Expanse. The Expanse, right. yeah. Yeah, here we yeah. are. We're like just talking about uh, <laughs> what shows we should watch, but um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll check that one out. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, you know, for me, the the I th- I you know I just thought that those zombie suits were really solid, and the um. And, and the whole episode worked pretty well for me, uh, you know, yeah. aside from those minor quibbles. But um, but yeah, so I don't know, I guess, uh, what do we think is going to be happening next? What's the, uh, uh, you know, I, have you seen the trailer for the next episode or no? Well, once again, bearing it in class, I can I cannot I cannot cross that class border. Class okay. comes on and, you know, no, I'm, I'm done here. But uh, so, yeah, I have no clue what the next episode is about. Yeah. Uh, I saw the no, I saw the trailer. I know the Pope is involved. And, the Pope, uh, okay. Yeah, it looks like there's like maybe a Da Vinci Code thing going on in this episode, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, I think. Okay, we're hitting the midpoint of the season, so I know Moffat likes to usually, he, you know, he, you know, back in the in the Davies era, you'd kind of have the plot arc at the beginning of the season and the end of the season. But I know Moffat always likes to bury some kind of plot arc related episode in the middle so we might be hitting you know and something I, to do with the vault next episode. i'm pretty sure they showed missy in the trailer i could have sworn it i, I might okay. be, i might be wrong but um okay uh, well I, I was a little bit lethargic watching the trailer but but i'm pretty sure she's in there yeah and i'm very yeah. curious how the master scenario is going to play out like because i because we know that they they have the previous master coming back and so i'm uh i'm definitely wondering is it going to be him first and then he transforms into her or is she going to maybe regenerate back into that version of the master? Like what's the, yeah, it's true. Know? It's time travel. Maybe she's an, actually an older version of the master than, than that one. They could well, be playing a game with us there. Well, I don't think that would work. So see, <laughs> we saw, we saw him generate, regenerate into who, who was the guy who played the master before? Is it uh, David? Oh yeah, it was uh, it was um, um something Sims Jacoby. I was well, well Sims before Sims, uh, what before Sims they had Derek Jacoby playing him in uh, Utopia. Yeah, that I remember. That I remember. I remember. I remember Jacoby because uh, I'm a big I Claudius fan. So when he showed okay, up, of course, I was like, oh sweet, this guy. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then he and then he he was this kindly old man, and then he. <laughs> we found out he was really the master that was it i, I loved that episode um and, yeah but but we saw him we saw him regenerate into the sims version so unless there's something well but i guess you know maybe there's a surprise well no it's got it's gonna have to be either uh this is before he tr- uh missy like missy is the next generation regeneration and we sort of catch uh, the tail end of Sims or mm-hmm. she regenerates back into him. Um, you know, which would maybe set the stage for previous doctors coming back as well. I don't know. 
but yeah uh, but yeah i don't know um but i'm curious how that all plays out um yeah and, we'll, we'll see i uh but I mean, you know, people keep people keep saying it's you know going to be the first multiple master episode, but of course that's not technically true because we did have the episode where everyone on Earth was the master. So it's really just the first one with multiple people playing the doc, okay. the master. That, and that one episode. bothered me a lot because I didn't. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't like the idea of everybody in the world suddenly becoming that. That concept just never, never oh, gelled with me. It seemed too. It was too cataclysmic of an event to uh-huh. introduce that quickly and then take back that quickly. Um, yeah, Davies was really bad about that. I think you know he uh, he really liked to push things just a little too far, then then snap his fingers yeah. and make it have not happened. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, the, of a GM in a campaign who's just gone too far with his <laughs> thing, and like, oh, now there's a dragon apocalypse. But, but I have to, we, we have to, we have to bring it back down to earth so that I can have the campaign go on. So the dragons yeah. are gone, and uh, you know, is yeah. that kind of a thing? But what I think would be awesome is if they got the Derek Jacobi version of the Master, the Sims version, and the Missy version uh, all together. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know. If, I, I doubt they're going to do that, but I think that would be that would be quite sweet. Um, yeah, I would. I would love to have. I would love to have Derek Jacobi as the actual Master, well, being the you know himself as opposed because he was good as the kindly old guy. But I just like to see him in full master mode. Yeah. Cause we got him for what, like 10 minutes in that episode yeah. and he was great, but we only got 10 minutes of him, and he's an outstanding actor and he's mm-hmm. somebody that, I mean, they, they should use him while they can, you know, he's one of these actors that they should make use of while there is still time. In my opinion, not that, not that I think he's going to die anytime soon, just that, you know, he's, he's an he's yeah. older man, he's getting on in years and he's this, you know, he's this great actor. So, um, yeah. yeah, he just he just did a TV show, so I know he's he's still willing to do TV. So you know they they should be able to get him. Yeah, I I, I think I think that would be interesting. Who played him in the made for TV movie? It was um what's his oh, name? Oh, Roberts, Eric Roberts. Roberts. No, yeah. I, I, I what did you think they ever bring him back? <laughs> I don't think they'll bring him back. That would uh that would be interesting, but I think it would uh be unpopular. But, uh, it's interesting though because the uh, the doctor from that one has become uh, yeah a little bit more he's become more popular I feel like uh, in the intervening years so I, I think I think people were happy to see him back in the webisode that they did um, but yeah maybe oh yeah Eric people Roberts. people like the doctor they just but but Eric Roberts gets a lot of the hatred for that episode, which I have not actually seen. I, okay. I completely was oblivious to that when it aired. Well, but. It, it came out in the mid nineties and it mm-hmm. was, uh, I think it was on, wasn't it on cable? It was, I, I uh, it was on Fox, I think it was actually. On Fox? Okay. Yeah. So. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, I think it was like a Fox BBC co-production. Well, also, I mean, Eric Roberts, he's not that great of a, and, well, I, I shouldn't talk, but I don't. I, I I haven't seen him in a lot of movies where I thought, "Wow, what a performance!" Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I think I, of Eric I, Roberts, and I think best of the best. That's like the <laughs> that's his crowning achievement that I, that I recall. I, uh, I remember his not, whole dilemma. Not, you know, do I do I go do I go fight Taekwondo in Korea, or do I take care of my son who's just been seriously injured? You know, you're, that was you're the, not you're not you're not a fan of a talking cat. No, 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 no. Okay, okay, fair enough. Uh, but uh, yeah, I. But basically, that during my early twenties, that was like 
you know, I, I was that was when that came out, and I was out at bars and stuff, and I wasn't sitting at home watching Doctor Who, so I, I, I completely missed I guess, that. Well, well, I guess going to bars and you know uh, doing social things is a is a, <laughs> a valid reason for missing missing this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I was still role playing at the time, so I didn't I didn't totally lose touch with my my geekiness. But I'm happy to see, you know on the role playing thing because a lot of people will you know especially at our age talk about this sort of the going in and out of role playing. I'm happy to say my only real lapses were deliberate when I was in college during the school year, and I knew I couldn't GM, so I would only play in games. I wouldn't run games during yeah. the um during the the school season. And in some, but then during the summer, I'd have like a big campaign that I always ran. Um, so I never had that thing where I I got so removed from gaming that I had to come back and mm-hmm. uh, and sort of re re uh, reintroduce myself to it. Um, yeah, I I never really lapsed. I have had some dry spells here and there when I've moved or something, but you know, I've never really walked away from it. Well, and I know this is not much to do with Doctor Who, but I'm sure a lot of Doctor Who fans will know what we're talking about. So, um, but, yeah, but yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I have the yeah. I, I, anytime you move, there's always you know that that risk of a, of a dry spell. I think um, mm-hmm. there, you know it's 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 a lot easier now though, especially with online games. Like I mean, you and I are in an online game on on every other yeah. Tuesday. It seems now and. Uh, you know, it's just very easy to connect with people online or whatever. So I feel like even if uh, I don't have a, you know, like if, if my live game at the table were to, to go away, I'd still have plenty of gaming. So I, um, it's just, it's, 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 it's a, it's a pretty good age, I would say for, uh, for role playing now, because it used to be that you like, you had to get a physical group together and mm-hmm. everybody had to like each other and agree to meet at one location. And, and now, yeah. on a moment's notice, you can have a game in an hour with three people that you never met. Um, yeah, I can be I could be eating dinner and you know just come up to the game in minutes and bring my plate with me, whatever, and we're we're playing the game. I don't even have to go anywhere, so it's it's very convenient. Now, have you played any of the just to keep it Doctor Who related? Have you played any yeah. of the Doctor Who role playing games? Or I played a little bit of the uh, FASA doctor who role-playing game back in the 80s uh my neighbor had it and uh he ran it and i it's funny i was actually talking about the fasa games with someone recently i played i played the fasa uh doctor who game i played their star trek game um uh, another one. I'm, oh, Mech Warrior. I played Mech Warrior, and I have no memory of the mechanics for any of those games at all. I like I can't tell you one mechanical function of those rules. The the they just the first RPG I ever played was either Mech Warrior or some version of Robotech. I'm pretty sure it was Mech Warrior, but I'm not. I can't 100 percent say because I wasn't GM. I was just a player, and the guy yeah. didn't really show us any of the material. Um, but just based on what the guy said and all that. It seemed like a mech warrior game to me, so that was my. I think that was my introduction to role playing, actually. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. then we moved to D anD D after that. Um, but uh, but yeah, the uh, I've never played the Fossa uh, Doctor Who. Somebody gave me one of the box sets or something from I think the mid eighties or I don't know when it was. Yeah, that would and, probably be the Fossa one. Yeah. And uh, but I have run uh, the Adventures in Space and Time, the new one. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember who makes that i should i shouldn't forget this but uh it's just not coming to my head um the people who make the one ring role-playing game made it um 
Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I should know this as Hold well. On, I'm going to um, I'm, I'm oh. um, I'm f- cubicle seven. I want to make sure I get cubicle name, seven. So, yes. You know, uh, but the cubicle but, uh, seven, Doctor, I really like that one a lot. Um, it sounds really good. I, I got to admit, everything I've heard about it, it's like, yeah, that sounds like a perfect system for Doctor Who. I mean, what I liked about so I liked it a lot because it's really light on its it's really light on its feet. This game, mm-hmm. um, and it does. And you know me, I'm always a little bit reluctant with any of the story elements or things like that. But the way it does it, I thought really worked. The way that it brings in some of those cinematic things didn't didn't bother me. Um, and I'm you know I'm probably one of these people that's a little bit more picky than some other folk around that. And so I yeah I, I go on both sides. I I. I like sometimes I like the the more cinematic stuff. Sometimes I want to have the straight simulationist stuff, but I, uh, I it depends on my mood. Being able to alternate like that can be very useful, I think. If you're, oh yeah, <laughs> um, I I with this one. So some of the stuff they did, I don't remember off the top of my head all of the mechanics. I re- I ran a brief campaign about two years ago, um, mm-hmm. but I if I if I remember correctly, I think. The initiative order is talking always comes first. Yes. I think that's how it worked. And I thought that was a really clever way to emulate the way things work in Doctor Who episodes. But it also made a lot of sense. You probably could kind of get a word in edgewise before. Uh, I mean, yeah. you kind of have to suspend a little disbelief, but it still makes reasonable sense. Well, um, ever, ever since I heard about the rules for that game, and when I watch the show, I see it happening. The Dalek comes in, it's like exterminated, and the Doctor just starts talking, and everyone kind of kind of waits. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, it's the talk phase of initiative right now. Yeah. Let's uh, so that get was, this out of the way. That was brilliant, <laughs> and that worked, and that worked so good in play. That was something where I was astounded how well that worked. Um, uh-huh. I can't say over the course of a five-year campaign if it gets old or not, because I only ran like a I don't know, like yeah. a two or three-month campaign, I think, and it wasn't that many sessions. But it didn't get old in the time I played it, and I'd, I'd, I'd love to go back and play another session of it when I have a chance. Um, but it also was very free-flowing with the rules. Like, you you could mix and match. They have attributes, but you can kind of mix and match them uh, as needed, which really worked very well. Oh. It could sometimes force you to think on your feet, which might be a, occasionally as GM. I found that a little bit challenging, but... I really liked having the ability to say, okay, this is this and that attribute. You know, those are the two things you need to, to do this, this thing that you're trying to do. Um, it, it just really worked well. Um, and I might be getting some of my game terms wrong here because I sure. haven't played the game in a while. But, uh, but I, I was really a fan. And it also looked beautiful. It's really well made. They, they did a very good job with the production of the game. Um, yeah, well, the uh, the FASA game, while we never really got into the mechanics or anything, because I think it was just one of those games you'd have back in the 80s where they just, they kind of had these boilerplate mechanics to it. It's like, oh, we're just going to have a standard combat yeah. system and blah, blah, and everything, you know. And they, it was probably like the exact same system as Star Trek or something. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was the thing that was great about that book back in the mid 80s was that it was a whole source book on Doctor Who and all the doctors and all the aliens and stuff. And I mean, not having the Internet back then and like living in the United States and there being, you know, no Doctor Who fan material. It was like just just fantastic for that alone, even if it wasn't I that mean, great a game. A lot of those games back then I remember just using as source books. I didn't like I I don't think I really played a lot of GURPS. I had a I had a friend who ran GURPS session, sessions and I would play in those, but I never yeah. ran any GURPS myself. And I would still buy the GURPS books for my own campaigns because they had a lot of useful information in them. Definitely. Um, even if I was running like D and D or 
or some other system. Um, and, you know, the same thing with a lot of the, you know, some of the Palladium books I remember picking up for just the, uh, the you know, the setting material or whatever. Um, yeah, but... Palladium was kind of a terrible system once you got past the first couple of games. You know, I mean, I, I like the original Palladium fantasy role-playing game fine, but it got, got clunkier and clunkier. But but that, that all the books for the all their games were so fantastic with the art and the ideas and everything. Yeah. I mean, those always stayed good. Yeah, and there's definitely, I mean, now a lot of the stuff, I, I think there's a, the expectations are very different in terms of look, layout, things like that. But um, uh, I still have a strong fondness for those those early 80s and early 90s game books. Um, you know, I, I think things were less standardized and uniform then, which is kind of mm-hmm. what I like. There were, there were more, there, were, there, were, there seemed to be a wider variety of, 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 uh, of how things were were sort of presented to the reader, um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know how we got on the Doctor Who RPG tangent, but um, I don't either. But here we are. So <laughs> <laughs> now we're we're off to like Palladium. I, and, I, I mean, I guess but, we might as well keep it on RPGs if that's where the conversation has taken us. Um, sure, sure. But, uh, I'm always up for that. But. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the 80s were a really experimental time. I mean, I, I find there's kind of a lot of revisionist history where people kind of go, oh, you know, everything was really super crunchy in the 80s and everything. And it's like, no, there was all kinds of stuff. I mean, you had Toon in the 80s, which was this real simple game where everything worked on like, you know, Warner Brothers cartoon logic yeah. and Ghostbusters. I ghostbusters was one of my favorite games it had one of the simplest systems ever well and 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 and, and uh basic D D was still a thing in the 80s i mean and that was sure. super simple um yeah the uh I, yeah i think i think that does happen a lot with with 80 stuff people see it as all very simulationist and crunchy and there certainly was a mm-hmm. fair degree oh yeah of that. like when <laughs> when things got that way they got that way really deeply um, mm-hmm. And I would say up through the 90s. I remember a lot of 90s games doing that, too. So it wasn't like it totally went away, even though there, I do remember more cinematic stuff coming out in the 90s. But yeah, but yeah the, the, it, you still had a lot of that kind of stuff back then. And, uh, it, you know, s- simplicity wasn't unheard of in no, RPGs no. at that time. So no, it's... I, I, I think... Uh, and even, even games like... Well, who was the... Remember the Lord of the Rings role-playing game, Merp? That was that was a uh, ice. Yeah, that was uh, a Iron Crown the, Enterprises. Yeah, that was a little bit on the crunchy side, as I recall. Yeah, but this was <laughs> that was like this was Roll probably Master. after the '80s. But they even put out a really simple, really great version of that game. I forget what they called it, um, but it was like a big, thick box set, and mm-hmm. and it had like three like shiny red books in it, and 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 it came with a sample adventure where you were like hobbits starting out in the village. And it, oh, wow. it was really brought down to sort of like the real simple bare bones, kind of what you needed to role play, not what, not not really worrying about all the other, you know, materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was great because I remember I remember picking that box set up and getting so excited because it was so focused on you're a hobbit crawling around the town. You know what I mean? It was just very it was very focused on the the scenario rather than the the mechanical aspect of it. Um, yeah and so that that kind of thing was around plenty at that time i i I would agree 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, there's just people people tend to oversimplify role playing history a lot of the time, and it's like it's it's well, really complicated. <laughs> well, well, you know what you know what happens too. I think with with gamers, we were all in our little pockets. There was no real internet, and so you could go from one group to the next, and things would be strikingly different. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot, I think people who didn't grow up with that don't appreciate like how 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 much diversity of tabletop gaming that created in terms of how games were run by people that's um, true so i mean you could go from one group to the next and 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 it would be like almost a different game because of how differently the the the, the system was implemented what rules were ignored what systems people were willing to play um and what like you know, a lot of people were experimenting with different things at their own table. I remember there was a couple of GMs here who did a co-GM'd uh, campaign forever. And mm-hmm. that was just kind of their thing. Um, and nobody thought it was odd. It was just, well, that's what they do. So, um, yeah. you know, you kind of went to somebody's table and whatever their rules were, whatever their sort of, this is how I do things, that's kind of what you agreed to do. Um, and if you didn't like it, you'd leave and go to another group. Um, yeah, and that, I, that's the that's the big difference, too, is that, you know, we had a D&D club at my middle school and we, you know, get together during like break and play D&D and stuff. And there are about, you know, 30 people in it and all these different groups. And you just take your character and you just go from group to group to group with the yeah. same character. You know, it's like, oh, I, I'm done playing the module. This guy runs, you know, the, one guy would have dungeon land. You'd go to him and he'd run dungeon land for you. Then you'd go to the next guy and, you know, and it was yeah, that was just the way it worked. Well, and there were—I remember there were people that did that. I also remember there were people that wouldn't allow that. Um, I, I, <laughs> I knew people that would not allow. I think I might have been one of those people. I was probably—I was not a very uh-huh. good GM. I think when I started out, and I—I I was I, terrible. I, uh, <laughs> I one of my traits was probably that I was very um, protective of my campaign integrity um, to the point of being a bit of an ass to people. Um, yeah. So. Uh, I, 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 I imagine I would have been somebody who wouldn't have allowed other characters from other campaigns, but I remember that being a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, but but yeah, I just, I, but, but, but part of it too was, you know, the, you know, you sort of understood there were different conceits at different tables and that wasn't, it wasn't the problem that I think it is for a lot of people today, um, where, you know, that was just, that was just sort of how things were done. You would, uh. You would sort of adapt like like I have my set of preferences, which you well know. And yeah, but they they aren't a problem if I go into Adam's game and Adam is like, look, this is how we're running things. I'm not going to I'm not going to verbally spar with Adam over <laughs> over how he runs his game. And, no, you know, no. I'm, I'm there to have a good time. Um, yeah, well, my, my priority is the people I'm playing with, to be honest. It's like if I'm playing with my friends, I'm going to have a good time, even if I absolutely hate the rules. You yeah. know, it's like I can get past that. But, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, obviously, I like the rules the way I want them, but it's not a huge deal. But I guess, I guess my, my feeling on it is being a GM is a very difficult thing to do. It could, you know, mm-hmm. you pro- the GM has the most stress, I think, out of anybody in the group. Um, oh, easily. And so... I want the GM to run whatever is most comfortable for the GM. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of times when I sort of give voice to my preferences of gaming, that's because that's what I'm comfortable running. And so that's what I, you know, generally will do when I have a group. But if Mm -hmm. I'm in somebody else's game, I don't want to come in and say, well, you shouldn't do it this way. You should do more of this because that's what I like. Do you know what I mean? That's, 
I don't, yeah. I don't want to come in and do that. I want to just sort of experience the game that that person runs and, and sort of get a sense of, well, this is this person's idea of role playing. So this is what I want to, I want to get a taste of that. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I never lay down ground rules to the GM at all. I'm like, yeah, let's see what you do. Well, but, and I'm, uh, not, I'm not talking about giving the GM orders like, you know, no. you will do this for, I'm saying more in terms of the, the gentle feedback sometimes people give that can, like, mm. that, 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 that maybe throw a wrench in the GM style. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would, I would avoid doing that as a player. Uh, yeah. Uh, unless I think yeah. I'm helping them, like, unless I can see them trying to do something that they weren't able to do. And I think I have the missing piece that would help. Yes. Do that. But I'm not, yeah. gonna, I don't like swooping in and being like, Oh, you should do more character voices. Cause I like hearing character voices when I play. <laughs> You're not doing enough of them. You know what I mean? You, you can but, regret asking for that. That's for sure. Well, you can but, regret uh... it, but also I feel like you can get into the person's <laughs> head and like, they'll start second guessing themselves every time they do a character voice. So, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes when someone is new to a system and they're running a system for the first time and you know it, sometimes you can give them advice on how to use that system, you know, if they're yeah. they're struggling a bit or if they're new to GMing as a whole. But like you said, you have to be really, really cautious about that. And you, you never do it in the middle of a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think waiting until after the game is definitely uh, better. Um, yeah, but I think I, I generally like GMs that have a clear idea of what they want to do. That's sort of sure. like, even if I totally disagree with it, like I much rather play with a GM who's like, this is how I run things. And that's, you know, it's, it, I, I kind of like that style more mm-hmm. than the, um, you know, um, mix everybody it. want. I'll yeah, give you yeah. what you want. Yeah. yeah, I know. That's that. Well, the thing is, I'm just a big believer that people rarely know exactly what they really want. You know, it's like whether it's people, people giving their opinions, you know, like in test marketing movies or whatever, when you ask people what they want, it's like they, they, they think they want something, but they honestly want to be surprised. Well, yeah, it's like the, the Homer Simpson car from the Simpsons. Where yeah. They give them everything he wants. And it's this giant monstrosity that, um, it's terrible. Well, I think, I think that's always tricky. I don't know. I mean, I sort of go back and forth. And so I'm not always consistent in my opinions on this issue, but yeah, I, I feel like, um, on the one hand, I do want to adapt to the group if they're clearly not having fun. So if, oh, if sure. what I'm doing is not working, I will, I will adjust. You know, even if it's like I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of doing things this way, but clearly the group is more comfortable with that. So I'm going to slowly shift things in that direction. But I, I, yeah, I agree with you. You kind, you, they don't know. Sometimes if the worst thing the. Sometimes the worst thing that I've done as a GM is ask people what they would like more of. And then mm-hmm. they tell me and then I try to give them more of that. And it just doesn't work. Um, yeah. Because I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just, you know, it, it's sort of like what we were talking about with the shows where you haven't thought out through all the implications of what that means. And, 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 and at the end of the day, what they're saying is I liked it when you did those things. But you can never really completely repeat what you did because that was a surprise or it was this one moment in time. And so, um, yeah, if you just keep giving us more vampires, it's not going to make us more entertained. Or if you uh, if you use this little technique that was great that one time you used it, it's not going to work if we do it every single session. Um, Yeah. And I mean, there's also I think I think you're better off watching your players during the game than asking them what they want. You know, it's like you notice those moments. It's like, wow, that person really enjoyed this. This Mm -hmm. person got bored when I did this, you know, that you get more honest answers just paying attention to your players than you do 
asking them because a lot of times a lot of times people have these rote answers what do you like in a role-playing game oh and they give their answer yeah. they've been giving on forums for the last 10 years and it has no connection to what's going well, on in the game it's like asking somebody what their favorite band is they tell you the band <laughs> is going to be the most intellectually impressive or artistically impressive uh -huh. they don't tell you the band that they necessarily put in the cd well people don't really use cd players that much anymore but the band that they have on their um on their on their amazon music all the time or whatever yeah their, you know the, the 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 current thing is yeah i i think being a gm is a little bit like being a stand-up comedian um in that you sort of are learning to to feel a room of people it's not like one individual in the room is it's it's like you're kind of getting a sense of what the energy level is at mm -hmm. varying points in the game and you just know when the energy level is low you can just kind of tell yeah. Oh, th yeah. This, you know, I'm. You know, everybody looks tired. I feel tired because of it. You know what I mean? You kind of get a sense of all that stuff. And if you, what what I use to sort of adjust my my campaigns to to sort of like you know get them back on track if I feel like they're not working or to kind of bring more excitement into it if I feel like I need more of that is I notice the moments when those energy levels are when everything just feels off. Do you know what I mean? Like, yo, mm -hmm. we, every once in a while you have a session where it's like, boy, I just don't feel like I'm on the ball or it feels like nobody's <laughs> really enjoying themselves. So I kind of yeah. take a step back and I don't worry about it. I just try to observe what I'm doing and and why it doesn't seem to be working. Um, yeah. And that and seems to help. And I, I think it's good not to freak out about those sessions, too, because you do have those sessions where, you know, it isn't an exciting session and it's not like everyone's like thrilled or laughing all the time and having a great time, but people are generally fine with those sessions. Yeah. You know, a lot of times you think a session was a complete bomb and, Oh, I used to, I think, Oh man. But then it's like, no, that's fine. You know, people, you know, not, not, it's like when you watch a TV show, not every episode needs to be one where you're like, yeah. that was amazing. You know, it just, no, I'm you talking can have about some the, and I'm talking about the real bombing. Uh, Real bombing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like like okay. where it's clearly well. Well, how can I put it? Where you as the GM are not comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Where you're yeah. like, okay, this isn't working. I feel awkward about this. That those moments. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I, I know, understand that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it can. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it can be tricky sometimes to to like you said. If it's if it's just you know just. I don't know what you would call it, but if it's just sort of like a, an everyday regular session, not too great, not too bad, it could be easy yeah. to misread that as a terrible session or something. Um, when it's really just, you know, it's just kind of, it's not great, but it's not horrible. People, you know, may have enjoyed it more than you thought. Um, and also, if you're running games weekly for a long period of time, those sessions will, you know, it, it's it's like anything else in your life. You know, you you have you'll have sessions like that. You'll have great <laughs> sessions. You'll have sessions that aren't so great. Every session can't be magic. Um, no, you know. No. In fact, if it was, that would just become the midpoint. I, think. you know what I mean. It would. Uh, everybody's expectations get raised, so it, sure. it naturally almost levels out. Um, I think. Yeah. Another thing too is like I'm finding. You know, it's it's a whole different thing running a game online over video than like running it at the tabletop and different games work than will work in you know, from one yeah. situation not the next. Like, you know, I tried getting that RuneQuest six slash Mithras game going mm -hmm. last year and I tried it and I just I was like, This this 
this system isn't I, if I was like if we were all sitting at the same table I was sure I could have made that game like work perfectly mm-hmm. but I just not being at the same table not being able to easily show people things and I, I felt like yeah I, I don't want to run this game over now, a screen now I'm curious what was the what was it about it that made the online thing not work because I have some thoughts on this too and I'm curious if you arrived at a similar conclusion to me I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of combat maneuvers in that, you know, and you kind of got your list of maneuvers you can use. And it's like, if I was there, I could have been like, you know, had had the list in my hand of been, hey, you should do this one or, mm-hmm. or have you considered this one or, you know, just kind of easing people into the game and, you know, presenting it. But there, and obviously I'd sent everyone a list of the combat maneuvers, but it was kind of like, I've sent it to you and you've got it on your own. You don't have me showing it to you. Yeah. And yeah. I just... I, I, there were a lot of things in that game where I felt like if I was if I was visually going through the charts with you, I could have made the charts work. But it was just okay. this 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 we've kind of got this glass wall between us, and what, I I was just like, nah, this isn't working for me. What I found because I, I the overview game is pretty similar in that you have a lot of combat techniques, and initially mm-hmm. I had a similar issue where I really liked I preferred to run it at the live table because because of those kinds of concerns. Yeah. Um, and what I found over time, though, was the online games started to get easier to run than the live table games. Huh. Um, and I don't know if that was just me becoming more familiar with the system or if it was shifting. Well, oh, go ahead. You were going to say something? No, no, no. Go on. Oh, OK. Um, or, or if it was me shifting to the things like when I first started online there were certain things that would just always routinely slow down play. So anytime you try to document share, you're going to lose like 10 to 15 (laughs) minutes of time. Anytime you attempt to use miniatures or a tabletop interface, that's going to slow things down, which might be fine. uh, Because if people like using the miniatures and everybody's on iTabletop or something, that's totally cool. But it's, it's, you, you might need more time in order to pull that off. Um, So I found shifting purely to theater of the mind, uh, doing all uh, everybody rolling their actual dice and just doing it on the honor system rather than doing a die roller and um, and just keeping things moving, but also making sure everybody had the same core document in PDF or something. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of kept things going. Uh, but I eventually I found it easier online, surprisingly. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I every, every point you made. I like, I like theater of the mind. I, I don't mind if, if another, if, like I said, if someone else is running a game and they want to use a, t- you know, a virtual tabletop for minis and stuff, that's fine. But I like to be flexible. It's like whenever, you know, whenever you're using minis, you need to have the map, you need to have yeah. the minis, and it's like, I. I want to have the option of my game flying off in direction Z that I didn't yeah. see coming. And it's like, that can't happen when you're doing the virtual tabletop thing. You need to have every location and every character ready to go. And yeah. Yeah. It can be, yeah. You have to have everything queued up. So, I mean, I guess you could put every possible thing in there if you need to, but um, yeah. And I mean, and Robert, Robert does a good, you know, a friend of ours does a great job running games using minis when he runs Savage Worlds. And I enjoy myself. It's just not what I would want to run. That's okay. all. Well, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm trying to think. Have I been in any of your campaigns? I don't know if I've been in your campaign, so I'm not sure. I'm. Familiar. I don't think you have actually. I think yeah. uh, the timing never worked out as far I mean, as. I've been uh, in. I've been in, in in as a player with you, but I haven't been in a game you've been running. I think. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, but, I'll be doing a game soon, so hopefully okay. we can work that out. Um, but yeah, I, I think it depends on your style. If you, um, 
if 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 you have a game that's more built around uh like dramatic developments or something i think it's fairly easy to bring that stuff in if it's kind of there's like an idea beforehand but if it's if it's more the players could go wherever it can be more of a challenge i just found mm-hmm. for me what, what made it hard is is the prep time before and i'm very slow with technology so i just um i i had a hard time bringing up the shared screen and stuff I, so for me it's just you know just skipping that um yeah uh, just skipping that and saying okay i can't do that so i'm going to just focus on uh you know whatever whatever we're saying the conversation um and that made things move very quickly. It made things work pretty well. Where it does get tricky is when there's big combats. That's when things can get really tricky because then mm-hmm. you really do want to pull out something to sort of show to people this is what's going on, and you you kind of can't. So, yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I do wish there was an easier way to sketch out things quickly to players on uh, on the screen. Which actually there are some ways in Google Hangouts because I I sometimes like making rough sketches quickly like mm-hmm. boom here's the area sketch 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 you know. I've got I've got a tablet for example so I can do that but uh but yeah I just don't I don't like doing the fixed mini exact map thing. Okay, um, yeah. Well I, I get I I've always tended to get too distracted by those when I'm running a game so I just uh, Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly everything i don't need to think about is great you know i mean that's you know like you know for savage worlds i used to run savage worlds a lot and i really liked that you know you know the idea it introduced to me which i hadn't done which is every npc that's on the player side the players control them during combat and it's mm-hmm. like great okay that made made it manageable because it's okay. one less thing for me to think about and that can get and there is a downside to that too i mean i i do that sometimes um but one thing that i've i've heard from certain players when you do do that is it can diminish the i guess you would call it like the agency or realness of the npc if you do if so okay I, i've developed so for those for for, for groups where i don't want to do that i've developed another system where mm-hmm. i simply assign every npc a die pool value because the game used die pools and yeah uh, and, and I have them roll their die pool against whatever enemy's die pool that they're fighting. And whoever gets higher is the one who wins the fight. Uh, and so that easily, so that way I don't have to sit there and go, okay, he uses his sword plus five. And, you know, I don't have to get all their stuff. I just need to roll three dice because I know he's worth about three dice. And if he rolls higher than the enemy, he beats him up. If he rolls lower, he gets beat up. Um, and that's a pretty yeah. easy system, I find. Um, I, yeah, I have a different system, which is I just have the override rule. It's like, I'm letting you control this NPC in the fight. And anytime I just have veto and override on everything you have them do. So every, right. if they're just having them work in a fight and it's, it's good, but I can go like, nope, they're not doing that. They're doing this. <laughs> the the, so the character can... gives me his magic sword and, and, well, point, I, yeah. and all of his holdings are transferred to me. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, well, obviously my, I usually don't play with people that do something <laughs> like that, but just, just, just if I want them to, you know, if there's, yeah. if there's a if there's a round comes up where I want them to actually do something specific, I can step in and say, okay, they're going to do this this round. Okay. You know, but but basically, I only need to think about the NPC when I actively have a specific thing I want them to do. Yeah, I try. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good idea. I found I tend to in in one of my games in particular, I I I, I sort of call it like the. Um, the the boxer from Shantung campaign because it's like one of the it's one of these games where the the players like to amass retinues of people 
they'll you know yeah. they'll spend all their money hiring thugs and stuff like that to back them up and yeah and so you end up with a lot of npcs in the mix and so i find i have to rely on all of these different methods in order to you know depending on what's going on in an ideal situation i run the npcs if 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 i'm too preoccupied with other things and i really can't i'll sometimes have them run them during combat but i'm always a little wary of that because like i said it sometimes will trip up certain players and it'll sometimes blur the line between like who the npc really is and you know, it can just cloud things a little bit. So I, yeah. I do that as a, when, when I have to, um, but I'll, you know, or I'll just use some weird method. Like I just described where I, I, uh, um, you know, I, I just assign them a value in combat and, and that's sort of how I determine where things shake out for them in the fight. Yeah. But I, but I, but I also find that if you have a lot of NPCs like that, they can, so something will happen where like you introduce an NPC and it's this really live, vibrant character when you first introduce them. But then if mm-hmm. they get sucked into the party, they sometimes sort of start just falling into line like a, you know, like rank and file, which yeah. to a certain extent makes sense. Because when people join a group, they do kind of their individuality is less stark. But mm-hmm. but it can it can, you know, it can get to the point where you feel like the character is not even there. And so occasionally the way that I get around it is I don't. You can't constantly be in the head of 18 NPCs, but no. but you can say, oh, okay, this character Zhao Min is in the party and she has this one goal and she's starting to get really frustrated that the players aren't following or going going towards that goal. So, yeah. so she's going to start acting up. Do you know what I mean? Something's going to happen. Um, yeah. And so every once in a while having them uh, you know, sort of stand out and do something that's true to their personality I think is a... Um, and, and, and if you can tie it to something that the players are doing or not doing, it's even, you know, more handy, but, um, it is. And, uh, yeah, I've actually got a similar trick that I picked up from Mars magic. I used to run that bring back during the first and second edition of that game. And in Ars magic, it's got a troop style thing where basically you have the, you know, one, every player has a wizard character Every player has a companion character that's someone who kind of assists the wizards. And then there's the grogs. And the grogs are basically the retainer mercenary types that defend the wizards. And you kind of have a pool. Everyone has their, like I said, everyone has their own wizard character. Everyone has their own companion character. But the grogs are kind of a collective pool that people run. And it would give the advice that every grog should have the broadest, like, Hollywood, you know, stock casting personality possible. So anyone, anyone that runs that character this week is going to be like, okay, I get it. This guy is the the angry drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. This one over here is like the Beetle Bailey guy who's just trying to get out of work all the time. And you know, people knock stock characters in games, but they really are helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Not every character deserves to be three dimensional. Um, exactly <laughs> and i think i think that's something that you can because you can end up clouding your more important three-dimensional characters if everybody is sort of this rich you know what i mean like if everybody's a little too deep up front it's uh it, it, it can kind of get in the way of, of 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 characters who do need to stand out standing out um, yes and and so what I usually will do is when a character is first introduced, I'll usually just have one or two major traits that I have in mind for them. And they're fairly mm-hmm. two dimensional and they're usually pretty stock character. And then after that is when I start 
you know, if, you know, if, if they, if they stick around, then I'll kind of d delve a little deeper. Sometimes I have characters a little more fleshed out before they hit the ground, but, but usually I just have like, you know, three sentences on any character. Um, yeah, that's all you need. Because yeah. I mean, if you have more, you're not gonna. You're. You're. It's gonna be hard for you to bring that out. Having those three things and concentrating on getting those three things across, then more things will just kind of follow. If you, yeah. if you write a whole two-page description of this NPC, it's just. It's gonna be muddy when you try and play. Well, see how I like to do that because I've I've gone back and forth on that a lot, and so sometimes I'll sort of I'll literally have some characters have two sentences, some characters have you know, three paragraphs. And, sure. and the way that I, I approach it now is the first paragraph is always the one that you read if you want to play the character at the table. So mm -hmm. like, you don't need any more than that. That's just, that's the essential stuff that you need to play the character. And then the following paragraphs are the bonus material if you can remember it and if you have time to glance at it. That's sort of how I like to think of it. So yeah, you don't necessarily... looking at the character's backstory and looking for yeah. a plot hook or something, yeah. you can kind of dig deeper. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to go to that second paragraph, but if you do, it's there. Um, you know, I, I, there, I see a lot of conversations actually about the whole backstory thing with NPCs, and mm -hmm. I find a, lo a lot of people say, "Well, the backstory never comes up, so you shouldn't have these deep backstories." But I find backstory comes up an awful lot for whatever reason when I have characters yeah. in campaigns. So. I don't think you need backstory for every single NPC and I don't think it needs to be like where it gets tricky. I think is if it gets really like twisty and turny and it's like a whole novella and you know, uh -huh. it's like, Oh, I was raised by, by this farmer. And then I went and I joined the Marine Corps and then I went, but you know, but I was secretly in love with my drill sergeant. And so that gave me this, you know, complex that I'm now still, you know, like if it's this whole thing that they, you know, that, that can be, that can be difficult to sort of unwrap at the gaming table. Um, yeah. But you need to be able to answer questions as they come up. Like if the players ask a character point blank, who's your father? You need to be able to have an answer. Yeah. Or if they, if they say, well, why do you want to kill this man? You have to have a good answer for that. You can't just say, ah, he should be dead. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need an answer. I mean, once in a while you can have a guy like that, but for the most part, people need to have, you know, there need to be yeah, motivations that, that, that should be a trait unto itself. Yeah. He just wants to kill people. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I make well. plenty of characters like that because they're fun. But, um, but, but 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 you need to be able to answer questions as they arise and so yeah. sometimes doing it on the fly is fine but i like having the the background material and i like sometimes having interesting little things that can come up or not come up um you know if the players decide to sort of dig a little bit below the surface so maybe they never find out the secret tragic story of this um you know this farmhand that they're abusing maybe they do you know what i mean it all depends on if they dig beneath the surface um but yeah. the, by the end of the day, I, I do think, you know, like I said, not every character you introduce has to have that level of depth. I think um, uh, it's kind of like knowing when to pick your battles. Um, it is. Well, there's there's no right answer. And I mean, and, cause par and part of it, too, is if you're going to write backstory, the backstory all needs to be interesting to read. You know, it's like if it if it is an interesting factor, is it not? You know, and I mean, nobody nobody really minds reading excessive backstory on an NPC if it's a gripping read. You know, it's like I've got like a superhero book by Greg Stolze where it's nothing, almost nothing but npcs and it's like every npc has their whole life story kind of spelled out mm -hmm. and it's really well written and it's like okay. yeah most of this is never going to see the table but 
it's good. So yeah, I don't, well, I don't feel like it's wasted. There's two kinds of text. There's text that you that, that is really more reference for the table, which is mm-hmm. sort of I think of as like the classic like free paragraph entry for every location type uh, yeah. thing. And then there's the engaging text that's meant to get you interested in running the game, if that makes yeah. sense. And so I no, think they're two different things. Um, yeah. And I think there's room for both of them. Um, one thing that I do, though, for I, I call it, I, what do I, I had a clever phrase for it, but basically when I'm, when I'm, whenever my players are doing anything in the campaign, I always have a notebook in front of me where I'm taking notes and mm-hmm. I, I do this sort of forward note taking thing where if I can sense that they're maybe going to be going to an inn or that they're at least in the vicinity of a temple that could become relevant and I don't have any material prepared for that, I immediately write down the name of the temple, who's there, like any relevant backstory of my, you know, I create, I create like concrete so that when they get there, you know, it feels like it's real. Um, Yeah. uh, But it might not come up, but I find that's also handy. So you don't have to come up with all the stuff in advance, but if they're, if they're, if the players are maybe thinking of going to a wine shop, you know, as they're sort of talking to each other, you can write down, oh, there was this big battle in the wine shop and somebody just lost their arm and some other guy is sitting there calmly acting like nothing just happened. And then when the players go in, you know, there's, an, there's a, like a situation that's interesting. You don't do that every yeah. time, but it, uh, I don't know, I think, I think stuff like that can, um, can kind of uh, make the world feel more, more real to the players. Yeah, and if they don't don't decide to go to the wine shop, you've got this cool little vignette there you can stick somewhere else later. So yeah, yeah. Well, it's and see, not I'm one of these these uh, these very rigid GMs who I if I make something for that wine shop, it stays at that wine shop. I don't I don't move it around. Um, oh, okay. It's uh, it's got to be there. Or it's got to be. The, that's where it is. Um, that's that that happens. Now sometimes I'll do something <laughs> where I'll have like I'll have like a like maybe like random event table, right? And, uh-huh. and it can happen anywhere, but once it happens, then it's sort of locked in that spot. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I agree with that. But, uh, uh, no, and it's, it's, it's more just for me than anything else. I, I don't, like, sometimes you do have to have encounters you can drop anywhere because, you know, you, you need to be able to sort of, uh, you know, those can be fun. Uh, but, but I remember I was in a campaign when I was younger where the GM told me, he said, oh, well, if uh-huh. the players go north, they're gonna get the, uh, the, yeah, the killing sort of one. If they go south, they're gonna get the killing sort of one. Like it, you know, wherever don't, we went, the adventure was awaiting us. And yeah, and that, I I don't agree with that yeah. at all. Yeah. I just mean I I you know I mean more from the standpoint. But I I don't mean like when when I was saying with the wine shop thing, I don't mean from the standpoint. Oh well, if they go somewhere else, there'll be this guy wounded. Mm. I just mean you've got you've kind of got this cool little vignette in the wine store, and later if they go to a wine wine shop, then maybe they. You can you can have that that happening, but uh, oh, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, no. wouldn't I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, and of course, that's fine if you don't like that either. But I'm just saying, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do the thing where oh, we're not going to go to the wine shop. We're going to go to the inn. And when they yeah. go to the inn, there's a guy wounded with his arm cut off, and it's like, oh, what? Well, why that doesn't? Well, why did we even have to cho- choose anything? I think what I was going to say though was that that revelation it made me. It almost kind of made me a little bit too vigilant about that as a GM myself. So that yeah. sometimes there are perfectly fine uses of recycling material or something that I'll avoid because oh, I don't want to I don't want to be, the, a, you know, the, in that situation again where I was, uh, you know, um, it's uh, uh, so I think I think I think what you were suggesting was totally reasonable. 
Um, oh yeah, uh, I, I have a I have a worse case than that actually. I, uh, my girlfriend ten years ago decided to run Dungeons and Dragons, and she was running third edition. So this was like two thousand seven. And she was running third edition when I was at the point where I like wanted I was I was tired of third edition completely. I was over it. But yeah, she wanted to run it. That's fine. And we had these really long drawn out combats like you get with third edition. And and then she told me one night after the session, she's like, yeah, I don't actually really follow any. I don't keep track of hit points or anything. I just have fights go on as long I, you know, as long as I want them to until I a good, you know, until it's a good pace, and I only have you know people hit if I want them to hit. And I'm like, why did you tell me that? It's like it's bad Nothing's enough sitting real. through a third, Nothing's real. I know it's bad enough sitting through a 30 minute combat that isn't all that tactically exciting. It's it's another thing entirely when you're like, wow, I'm just yeah, okay, whatever. How many times do I have to roll the dice before this is over? I mean, uh, there's always uh, that temptation for the GM to fudge. And I guess the GM always has the the right to fudge if they want to, but yeah. I find that that can be a very dangerous thing to lean on um, mm-hmm. because you think you're doing the players a favor, but you're really giving them like a... You, you can sort of create a complex in the players where... The, the if they if 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 you're doing if you're if you're protecting them from being hit or you're you're making every encounter play out the way it should then you're never really interfacing with the game aspect do you know what I mean? you're sort no. of you're sort of avoiding the results of the dice and and i know that there might be you know i might be building a straw man because i'm describing a gm who is always doing that or doing it to the extent that it's shaping the campaign but I think I think that's a for me I think that's a bad habit because you you uh, uh, you 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 warp the expectations of the players that way they start thinking oh well I never die when I go into combat or <laughs> I uh, I can kill it you know like like a tarasque you know which, you know I've I've been I've 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 dealt with too you know it's yeah it's, uh, it's, yeah it can it can uh, it can become an issue um, but also no. I think I think they get used to that pacing that you create and they don't realize. There's something to be said for not every camp, not every encounter playing out like it belongs in a movie. Do you know what I mean? Like um, mm-hmm. sometimes campaigns that do things, not campaigns, uh, encounters that go a direction you don't expect or end too early can can be interesting in themselves. So it looks like we've been uh, talking for over an hour now. So I think uh, we should end the episode there. And... Uh, me and Adam will be back, uh, hopefully, with an episode talking about the Ark in space. And we'll also be back next week with another episode of Special Snowflakes, uh, talking about the next episode of Doctor Who. And as time goes on, we're going to incorporate more things into the to the episode. So today we brought in a lot more gaming topics. Uh, and you know, in the coming weeks, we'll probably bring in other media and other types of things. And we'll just cover more ground. So uh, we will talk to you later. 